Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is the trigger warning. We will be talking about horror culture and horror things, which could involve sensitive subjects such as murder, rape, child abuse, foul language. We'll be talking about dark things, so uh, if you come here for that stuff, welcome. We talk about dark stuff. But if you somehow stumbled across this and that's not your cup of tea... Uh, maybe think about it for 30 seconds and come back. It's interesting stuff. We, we talk about interesting things as well. But that is the necessary trigger warning. So with that being said, coming up in the near future, we will be talking to authors Sarah Langan and Paula D. Ash. And uh, shortly after that, director and producer Eduardo Sanchez. But today we have the company of Max Booth III, author of such works as We Need to Do Something and Indiana Death Song. Welcome to the Welcome. show, Max. Hey. Thanks for having me on the show, folks. The show, the bird show. Yes. So uh, in this interview, we'll be asking three sets of questions covering your childhood, teenage years, and adult years to find out what it is that you like about horror. Um, It's not meant to be a therapy session, though. So if there's anything that we ask that you don't want to answer, just say pass and we'll move on. Um, But before we get into the meat of the interview, is there anything that you want to uh, plug? Um, yeah, my new book, Maggot Screaming, came out a couple of months ago. So, you know, I would recommend that book. It's it's pretty gross and funny and sad. It's about a dad and a son who dig up three bodies that look just like themselves. And uh, they, oh. they have uh, fun experimenting with the bodies. Interesting. That's... Uh... Yeah, poke it with a stick type stuff. <laughs> is it like voodoo doll type thing? Like you poke it with a stick and then all of a sudden you get a bruise in your arm or? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, neat. Have to read it and find out. Well, yeah, that's that's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, baby. <laughs> so starting with childhood, what are some of your earliest memories of scary things? Uh, pass. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great talking to you. Have a good day. Pass. Pass. <laughs> I've always wanted to do an interview. Every question they ask me, I just go, "Oh, that's a bit. That's a bit too personal." <laughs> um, I am the youngest of three brothers, so the the youngest one besides me is a, a decade age gap. So by the time I was growing up, they were already watching the really graphic spooky movies. So I grew up just watching those. They were already just in my life, movies like Dead Alive and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Evil Dead trilogy. Mm-hmm. So when I think about being involved in this genre it's just something i've always known like i haven't i don't know what it's like to grow up not watching spooky movies or reading scaly books it's just something i've always known Mm. but what were some of the first things you remember seeing yeah i I recall being obsessed with uh, sam raimi's evil dead trilogy quite a bit um i know i owned like the uh special limited edition a DVD of Evil Dead that came in like the Book of the Dead, like it was made to look like flesh, and I was obsessed with that quite a bit. I uh, I own the uh, the box set of the Nightmare on Elm Street DVDs, and I I recall I have a specific memory of being able to to buy that at Best Buy because I had saved up my money from mm. a snub 
shoveling snow for like mm-hmm. all winter because I grew up in Indiana. You know, it snows. Mm-hmm. It snows in the Midwest. I don't know if you guys know that, but that's something. That's a fun fact about the Midwest. We get snow. Um, I live in Texas now, so I haven't seen uh-huh. snow in a, in a little bit. Yeah, you guys get some snow over there. We did. Yeah. We got we got a lot of snow like a year and a half ago. It was a uh, kind of terrifying. The whole state shut down. Yep. Um, I heard thing. About that. Yeah, yeah. Howard. <laughs> that was nuts. I hadn't seen snow like that since I was a kid. Anyway, besides movies and books, like when I think of like things that were spooky and scary that happened to me as a kid. One memory that stands out is I was I was pretty young. I would say maybe five, six, and I was watching my my brother play uh, video games late at night. And we were in this room, and the window in the room was like right next to the driveway. So, mm-hmm. and like that's where we had the trash cans and whatnot. And we there was a noise outside, and usually when there was a noise like that. The assumption is, okay, raccoons have gotten into the trash can. But yeah. my brother said, go check that out for me. So I walked over to the window. and the window At five? Was, yeah. Like, what were you going to do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he was busy. He wasn't responsible. <laughs> <laughs> the window was open, but we had the blinds down. So I, I peeked through the blinds, and I saw... Well, at first I saw nothing but the the, uh, the infinite blackness of night, and mm-hmm. then the face of a clown just emerged <laughs> in front of me and uh, poked me and poked me in the eye, and I flew back and fell down crying. My brother uh-huh. grabbed a baseball bat and ran outside and found nothing, but came back in and I had a hell of a black eye for the next couple of weeks. So that's oh. when I think of scaly things that have happened to me. It's uh, getting poked in the eye by a mysterious clown in the night. Yeah, right. The, um, the, the assumption we have is it was probably like a friend of my brother's trying to spook him and then got me mm-hmm. instead. Well, maybe it was just one of those, uh, clowns that come out of the woods that you <laughs> sometimes feel about. Right. I don't know. Yeah, you know, just random with clowns. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that sucks that it gave you a black yeah. eye. That's not cool. Yeah, I, uh, I don't recommend it. <laughs> no, I, Would not I imagine not. I'll jump around here with some of the questions. Did you have anything else terrifying happen in real life in your childhood? Since we're on that topic, I mean, probably. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, one, I, I have this memory in my head because I have a collection coming out next year called uh, Abnormal Statistics, and there's a short story in it that's mostly inspired from something that happened when I was a kid. And basically, you know, I was a chubby little awkward child who didn't have a ton of friends and I certainly never, you know, got romantic with anybody until I was much older. But I recall um, this, this girl about my age, she, she was a friend of a friend and we were all hanging out. And she said to me, Hey, do you want to go see the cannibal in the dunes? Because we lived in Northwest Indiana and there's lots of dunes like sand hills around. So I said the cannibal in the, in the dunes, 
All right. I'll go mm-hmm. do that. In my head, I'm thinking, we're walking across town to these dunes, and she's convinced there's a homeless cannibal that just hangs out in the dunes, and it's like this big uh, urban legend around town. And I'm thinking, there's no way she believes this is true. And I'm also yeah. thinking, am I about to get kissed is this gonna happen is this going on <laughs> so we walk into these dunes with little bikes and it's not like the easiest thing to navigate around and she's just like really looking for this cannibal and i begin getting afraid thinking oh shit still might be a, a cannibal <laughs> these dunes and then um the most anticlimactic ending of all time happens. We both fall down one of the hills and she cries and runs home. And I just have to go home by myself and nothing happened. <laughs> but <laughs> I do, I do think, you know, like at that specific age, it's really easy for those types of, uh, legends that build up, you know, like, Oh shit. There could be a cannibal that lives in these dunes. But, if someone told me that right now, I think I would believe it even more than when I did back as a kid. I certainly believe a, a cannibal is capable of living in dunes. I, I mean, what else? Where else would they live? Yeah, I mean, the dunes have eyes, right? The dunes do have eyes. Sometimes the hills have eyes. <laughs> same, yes. same thing, you know, just different geographic <laughs> area. Um, let's see. So, going back to the the uh, clown thing. Um, you know, normally the follow-up question there, if anything actually scary happened in your real life is, you know, did you walk, did you get any, you know, existing or um, residual fears that have stuck with you for the rest of your life type thing? You know, was it, was it that traumatic or, or did it just kind of like come and go? I'm not afraid of clowns. I have a clown fetish actually. So I think it inspired hmm. something sexual in me. I'm not sure if you're being serious or joking. <laughs> I mean, maybe a bit of both. <laughs> Have you ever like t- taken a good long look at a red clown nose? Doesn't make you feel anything special. I mean, I like the uh, the curvature of it. It's kind of like the whole like uh, oddly satisfying videos. You know, a nice spherical, yeah. perfectly round clown nose is very pleasing. Don't you just want to cut one of them and lightly squeeze? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least in my case, not in a sexual way, but yes. <laughs> but not, whatever. Not in a sexual way yet. Well, let it develop. Cue yeah. Dragon Ball Z <laughs> clip of Frieza saying, Oh, I like these clown noses. I want to caress them. <laughs> Whoa. Now, I've never seen Dragon Ball Z, but will clowns having sex in that show? Because I need to watch it. There was a Mr. <laughs> Popo and, and the little kid with the clown face. They were kind of clowns, maybe. I don't know. It was a misquote where he, he was uh, obtaining the Dragon Balls, which are a sought-after item, and he had a very uh, misquoted, unfortunate uh, statement of something along the lines of... Uh, Holding some balls. Yeah, and, and caressing them makes them feel <laughs> joy, something along those lines. It's, now, it's been a while since I've heard it. Now, is the plot of that show someone trying to find, like, a dragon's ball, like maybe a dragon egg. Is that what's going on? Well, there are seven of them, so I don't believe they would be testicles. I think, if anything, they would be uh, eggs. Yeah, yeah. Probably. So it like it looks like a magical dragon egg. Like that's the quest of the show. If we find this dragon egg, we can we can win the competition or something. You get a wish if if you collect all seven of them, you can summon the dragon, and he grants a wish. Interesting. 
Just one wish for seven eggs? God damn. That yeah, seems yeah. that seems unbalanced. And and then they separate and just go to the four corners of the earth and you have to find them again. Yeah, for one wish. It's a little, it's a little much. Oh, man. Yeah. What would you wish? For? I guess it all depends know. on what you're used to. Uh, usually bringing back to life a fallen comrade so the show can continue to go on and they don't have to lose a character. That's just pretty much yeah. the guffin. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and then so you just repeat the cycle and try to get the eggs again and then somebody else dies again. So now you got to revive them again. Exactly. I would wish right. for mill eggs. Yeah, oh, right. my God. Why has no one ever done that? I wish for more Dragon Ball. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> or or wish that the next, you know, after the next wish, they don't go to the four corners of the earth and just like stay right there. Right. Like, I wish for one more wish and for the Dragon Balls to just drop right here and stay here. They're right. Now, see, okay. I, lo- I love eggs. I think I would just be tempted to eat them. To eat them. <laughs> Meanwhile, the dragon is standing by in horror, like you can't do that. Yes, I can. <laughs> well, then they they separate out of the body, and it becomes like a Clive Belkill really Flesh <laughs> just rips right. open. You sure That'd you cool. want to eat those eggs? Yeah, yeah. should be a fine. <laughs> you guys <laughs> have to find. You guys have to watch those um those wish master movies. Bill is always mm-hmm. like, you have one wish, but I'm going to do like an ironic twist on it. That would be it. Yeah. The yeah. eggs yeah. would come out of you. Uh, my favorite was uh was it wouldn't you like to break fr- or wouldn't you like to escape oh i think that was tony todd too wasn't it yeah i think so and then he ends up in a, a water chamber and drowns <laughs> that guy had fun with his job he did All right so let's go back to some of the other stuff that you mentioned uh evil dead box set yeah mm-hmm. and uh nightmare on elm street what did you like about those the movies or the actual cases yes <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love, I don't know what I, I mean, I don't know. It's not something I sit around and like try to analyze the evil dead movies will just super fun and chaotic and there's not a lot of logic to them. And I tend to not like logic and they're just funny and also scary at the same time. And I like both of those emotions and I don't think anything else has exactly a, a, captured that type of feeling for me than those three movies but that uh the necronomicon box set was just awesome it was like it felt to me like what ancient dead flesh would feel like that case Mm. it was really cool Mm. and the um nightmare on elm street box set was was cool to me at the time because the spines if he held them all together like as a stack Mm -hmm. they 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 filmed an image of of frederick krugel (laughs) and i loved the movies i loved all of them as a kid i haven't watched any of the sequels in a long time i imagine they will not great but at the age i loved them right hit or miss yeah i don't know those movies will just specifically the originals really terrifying to me even now i think it's really effective as a movie it's one of the best little movies i've made i think what things scared you I guess the fact that you you can't really escape a dream, you know, everybody has to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I was wondering if there was maybe some scene or something like that that popped out to you. But yeah, in general, no, like you say, you can't escape a dream. And that's nothing that really comes to mind. Well, the scene, I guess, in it, well, his, um, his limbs were like stretching infinitely around an alleyway. And I thought that was pretty cool. The way he can just kind of readjust his uh, biology. Well, it is a dream, so 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's his thing, right? He can only do yep. things in dreams until he can't. Until he can't. Yep. Until he gets you in the real world. And then, oh, you're done for. Mm. Yeah. In many of our guests, there is a dividing line where prior to a certain time or event in their life, they were scared by horror. And then after that point, they found horror to either be, you know, fun or amusing or, you know, some positive experience. It sounds like in your case, though, it was, it was always a positive experience. There was nothing, or was there an earlier point in your life where you were scared of it? No, I I always loved it. And only certain movies affected me negatively as a kid. One of those being the original Pet Cemetery adaptation, specifically the zombie kid Gage. Uh. For whatever reason, I mean, I, I was really young, so I don't recall like the reasoning in my head. But seeing that zombie kid move around freaked me out quite a bit, like to the point that I would cry when I saw it. I don't know. I can't. There's no possible way for me to <laughs> tell you why that was, but it definitely affected me. And the other movie that affected me, not I don't want to say negatively, but it definitely made me feel bad, even though I, I loved it, was uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre when I saw that movie. I had seen so many other movies until then, but when my uh, my brother will put that movie on maybe it was the way he cautioned me against how skilly it was gonna be i don't know he built it up in my head but only that movie even now it's the only movie i've seen that seems like the person who made the movie might not be completely sane like it feels <laughs> really much like a madman is making a movie and nothing mm-hmm. is safe and everything is dangerous and that movie gave me a really unhinged, uh, dangerous feeling while watching. Like, this is something no one else has done. And I don't know how to feel. It makes me feel sick to my stomach that I can't look away. So that movie definitely affected me as a kid. Some insight to some uh, someone's unwell mind. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Guy just wanted to, you know, get his Christmas shopping done. There were chainsaws next to him. <laughs> right. Uh, let's see. Okay. So you did have horror family, uh, two, two brothers. Or was it just one brother that was into I, horror? I have three total, but I grew up with two of them and both of them love the genre, okay. different types of genres though. Like my brother, James, he was big into slashels. Mostly he's a big Halloween fan and Jason and my little brother, uh, Jeremy, he loved a little like B movie type of stuff, stuff like a uh, dead alive and, uh, uh, tunes, just a really just Jeremy and I would often walk downtown to like the Hollywood video and just pick anything that looked cool on the, uh, the spooky shelves. And we would just yep. go home and watch them all. So he didn't have many limits. Bill as uh, James was mostly just a slash little guy. Okay. Uh, back in the days when you could trust box art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, more or less. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so other than James and Jeremy, did you have any other uh, friends or family or that were horror fans? Yeah. Yeah. I had an, an aunt who was mo- not, not actually related to me, but was my mom's best friend named uh, Teeny. Was it what we all call it? Called old. Teeny was a big fan of her little movies and she would always encourage me to watch them. And anytime we visited, she would have a sleeve 
of new DVDs to let me borrow that she would <laughs> that she would download from like LimeWire and then put onto discs. <laughs> she had thousands of illegal movies she would get, and she would just have new recommendations for me. Just she was a hammiest sleeve of movies I had. I've never even heard of before, and I would go home and watch them and just be amazed every time. Like I recall some of those movies. There was something called Hatchet, I believe I saw that mm-hmm. she sent me, mm-hmm. and um. High tension was one of them. I'm like ten. She's <laughs> <laughs> high tension at ten. Okay. I mean, probably younger than that, to be honest. Um, mm. Yeah, just crazy ass movies. I think she would just type, like, just find lists of any movie in the genre and just download any that she could find, and then give them to me, and I would bring them back, and she would have a whole new like uh, sleeve of discs discs for me to watch. So that was a pretty big part of my influence on the genre, I think. Mm-hmm. How did your parents feel about uh, her sharing this stuff with you? Oh, they were fine. We never had many limits when I was a kid of what we could and couldn't watch. The main thing, you know, you could watch in my household, you could watch someone, you know, being impaled from the ass to the mouth, and that would be fine. But if they <laughs> showed a nipple, oh, you better cover your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> So that was like the the only thing. Like we watched for some reason. This baffles me now. A movie we watched a lot when I was a kid was from Dust Till Dawn, and the entire yeah. second half of that movie is nudity. So like, yeah. I didn't really see much vampire action until I was a teen. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, there were vampires in that movie? <laughs> yeah, it's all nudity once the vampires show up. <laughs> uh huh. Good movie though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. That is a bit strange that they'd let you watch that. Well, something, um, when I was a kid, we didn't really have, like, bedrooms. We all just slept in the living room. So anything we watched, we all watched together because mm. we just have what the one room we all lived in. Okay. It still doesn't explain why they let you watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's probably me asking to watch it again because, yeah, I love the Hulu genre. But I've always loved crime movies, too. And the, the first half of that movie is just a crime movie. And it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I was I was a huge fan of Quentin Tolentino, even like at <laughs> six, seven. <laughs> well, like you say, you like the chaotic stuff when he's definitely. Yeah. Uh, he likes chaotic stuff. Uh, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, you and Chris are going to have a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> so did you dress up for Halloween? Yeah, I did. You, nothing that stands out too much. Usually just, oh, that's a spooky mask. I could just put that on. Mm. Um, like nothing like that was a name brand of some movie. Just a generic spooky mask that was cheap enough for us to buy. I would say beginning around age nine until I was too old to trick-or-treat, um, I would just go and walk across town and and walk around Halloween with like a couple friends. That that time has kind of gone away now. Little <laughs> parents would be like, yeah, you can just go. See ya. <laughs> Have fun. Yep. But yeah, we would just walk around and we would, we would get some candy. Usually we would just cause a mayhem around town with eggs and TP and mm. just set, setting things on file at a really young <laughs> age. Yeah. So you went straight from, you went straight past the collecting candy to mayhem. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, candy's all good and all, but 
what's even uh, Milfan is setting a Philip on file. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can relate. I set my uh, uh, bedroom gas gas can um, trash can on fire in my bedroom when I was in like third grade fourth grade nice and it was a plastic trash can so it it went up <laughs> screaming i love the idea cool. that you have a bedroom uh, gas can and you grow up and you find out wait a <laughs> yeah, second right. you didn't have a bedroom gas can <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing it's for the uh for the oh shit i can't think of the fucking right word now the, thermostat um, no it was the the lantern that's the word i was looking for not propane but uh what they used to have like kerosene. kerosene oh, yeah. oh yeah, we had um we didn't have heat. <laughs> we didn't have heat growing up in my house, but we had one of those giant kerosene tanks in the living room, and we just slept around it. And I'm only just now upon uh, doing some research into uh, kerosene tanks, discovering that was highly dangerous, and we could have died. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Monoxide. Yeah. <laughs> Now, whenever I uh, have a slip of memory and I forget something, I just go, ah, Kelby Monoxide strikes again. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Mom and Dad. So what you didn't know is you actually had another older sibling that just didn't make it. Oh. I, had a tw- I did have a twin, but yeah, we had to dispose of him. Yeah. <laughs> These things happen, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you become an author and they become uh, you know, a vestigial twin inside your brain and then you have to kill them. These things happen. Yes. They happen a lot. Look it up. Yeah. You're right. I did. And watched the movie, Dark Hat. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love that book so much. Did you have any really scary dreams when you were a kid? <laughs> no, I don't think so. No? I'm not someone who uh, recalls my. I don't. I'm not someone who like recalls my dreams too well. I'm envious of those who are like, yeah, this is what happened in my dream. I'm going to tell you all about it. I I'll wake up and I might have some like brief segment of a dream in my head, but it goes mm-hmm. away by the time I get up. All right, so that pretty much covered childhood. Uh, we definitely would say that uh, horror made you happy uh, in that phase of your life. Yeah. Um, moving into teenage years, what were some of the scary stories or books or movies that uh, impacted you in your teenage years? So I had a pretty odd teenage uh, life compared to a lot of teenage olds. When I was uh, heading to the uh, final month of being 12, I, myself and my, my parents, we, uh, we lost the house we had and we moved into a hotel and then we lived in those, in that hotel and many other hotels, uh, until I was 16 and I didn't go to school or leave the hotels. I just stayed in hotel rooms for a long time. And during that time I watched and read a shit ton of the whole genre. So I would say, it affected me. The genre affected me positively as it was a good distraction from uh, monotony, just of nothing going on. Hmm. That's uh that's interesting. Living in a hotel for four years. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. We, um, we lived in various hotels around uh Northwest Indiana. Sometimes we would live at a casino hotel because my mom uh, often visited the casino, which is what, how we lost the house. And, oh. but she would get comps for the hotel at the casino. So we would stay at that hotel and then we would stay like at super eight hotels and 
affiliates had little cheap flea flea bag hotels around the state, depending mm-hmm. on what we could have filled. Well, I was going to ask if your mom had a gambling problem. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <Sounds explanatory. laughs> Seems, yeah, yeah, man, she did. So, sound, <laughs> <laughs> sounds pretty cut and dry. I just didn't know if I wanted to ask the question. It's like it answers itself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, you don't lose the house accidentally. I mean, to be to be completely upfront, I'm assuming that's how we lost the house because no right. one will tell me. Mm. <laughs> oh, one day no. we lost electricity, which happened a lot. And the, a day or two would pass, and it would come back on. But this time, mm. it didn't come on. And then one day, I got home from school, and it was uh, we're going to go stay at the uh, hotel at the casino this weekend until we get this fixed. And then we mm. never went back. <laughs> mm. when you f- first said that you lost the house my first thought was that it burned down from the kerosene heater <laughs> <laughs> that's how i lost my twin yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> the twin was in the house when it burned down yeah uh let's see but uh so okay so that's real life horror yeah. uh i guess let's ask the follow-up question there then did do you feel that that has impacted you uh, throughout your life in any particular way? It's shaped me completely, I would say. It's it's mm-hmm. made me the type of writer I am today because I've gotten published at a really young age. I, I chill at 29 tomorrow, actually. Oh, wow. But um, I've been getting published for over a decade at this point now. And a lot of times, like I've little uh, in the genre I meet up with, they say, how the hell... Did you mm. get books out so early? And the answer is, I had a lot of practice time as a teen angel. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did pretty much nothing as a teen besides write, read, and watch. Most people don't begin writing until they're in their twenties, like seriously trying to write. I began setting stuff out by the time I was fifteen. I wasn't accepted when I was fifteen. I didn't get accepted until I was seventeen. But most people don't begin that early. So I had that type of that type of advantage that most people do not have as I was right. sharpening my writing skills way before they would have. And so that, ha- that greatly affected me. And I, you know, I, I watched and read a lot of spooky books and movies that I love to this day. And, you know, they helped just distract me and pass the time because living in a hotel is really billing. There's not much to do. It yeah. uh, since a lot of the hotels were uh, like next to highways, it wasn't like I could just walk around. Specifically, especially at the hotel by the casino, we'll like kids can't just be left alone. Mm-hmm. So I, anytime I was out of the room, I had to be like kind of cautious that no one saw me. And when they would leave me in the room, I I was always just freaking out that someone would find out I was left alone because that would have been like. Oh, I guess CPS is going to get involved now. That was a big phobia of mine as a kid that child protective services would come and do something. I don't know. Yeah. And then you'd probably have the misunfortunate or misfortunate uh, misunderstanding of, oh my God, this poor child is living in a hotel room when in actuality it's like, we're actually doing okay. We just don't live in a house. Fuck off. My parents are fine. Maybe. Maybe. Or not. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, like you say, there's no playgrounds at uh, at the at the I almost said high school, but um, <laughs> uh, hotel. Yeah, so it feels like I don't know a couple weeks of living in a in the hotels. My dad would 
drive me to school and pick me up after his job. But the driving distance that he had to do for this was just insane. So they decided to withdraw me from school. And they said, oh, yeah, we will homeschool you, which <laughs> never happened at all. Right. They just lied. <laughs> and I basically became a ghost to my hometown and all of my friends. I just disappeared one day and Neville came back and I lost contact with everybody. So it was just, it was just me. There was no other like socializing with anybody, just me in a hotel passing time. And your brothers were already older and had yeah. been on their own, I guess. Once in a while I would go and spend a night at one of my brothers houses that, that sounds like my brother had many houses. He had a trailer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right. He had a trailer where the toilet didn't work. And if you wanted to pee, you just lifted the lid and the lid and peed in a fucking pile of shit that no one could flush. So nice. it, it wasn't that much of a step up from the hotel, but at no, least it was no. something different. And I'm not sure this is a step up from a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> no, you think the hotel would at least have, you know, working plumbing, but sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. One more question on hotels before Absolutely. we move on, because I know we're getting into tangents, but I, I am curious because, you know, Steve always asks the question, does this uh, affect you later on or, or your behavior later on in life? Being an author and and probably going to conventions now, I, I got to wonder, does it just seem weird walking into a hotel if you like go to conventions and you stay there temporarily? Like, no, <laughs> not too much. I mean, a little bit for reasons yeah. we can get into in the next segment, which is going to tie into the teenage yields. Mm. But um, the the one thing that has really affected me if I go into a, a, a specific place is a casino. I've uh, I, yeah. I don't I, I'm I'm strictly anti gambling due to the way I grew up, but I no. <laughs> yeah no way right um, I um we were driving to California a while back and we stopped in Vegas just just because that's a good halfway point and we yeah, were right. walking in the casino we will say <laughs> no, there's no other reason that you stopped in Vegas <laughs> that was Sorry. that was pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the hotel we were staying at Phil's had a casino in the lobby and like that was mm-hmm. the first time I've ever stepped foot in a casino and I was like oh shit <laughs> this is traumatizing I think I might have some stuff building up that I haven't thought about in a while I need to leave immediately <laughs> plus it's a little sensory overload I mean there's flashing lights and noises everywhere well, in those fucking things yeah. yeah I'm curious what um, what overwhelmed you about being in there well, you know, you spend all those years as a kid imagining your mom in one of them, one of those places, but you will not allow it in because, you know, you have to be 21. Mm-hmm. Just the way the things you build up in your head and all the uh, hateful emotions that you have to uh, gambling in, in general, just you have a lot of mean and violent thoughts about gambling and you walk into one and you get confronted, you know, face to face. This is the thing that you despise it's a lot Mm. to take in yeah yeah i can understand that yeah just a a very strong do not like (laughs) yeah i would uh yeah do not want okay so but uh horror media yes uh in your teens what uh what did you find impactful in horror media fuck um mostly books i would say um i did a lot of reading. We I went to the library quite a bit, and I would just rent like a dozen books at a time and take them back to the hotel. So lots of Stephen King, lots of Jack Ketchum, 
stuff like that. Um, the Talisman by Stephen King and Peter Straub was a big book of my, that affected me greatly because it happens to be about a kid living in a hotel with his mom. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> so that book, I was like, oh, shit, this is me. Right? <laughs> really sad, funny, awesome book that I don't think a lot of people talk about when they talk about Stephen King. I'm surprised mm-hmm. it hasn't been adapted yet. It's perfect full adaptation. I think Steven Spielberg uh, optioned it at one, at one point, but nothing happened with it. So yeah, The Talisman was a big book for me back when I was a teen. Same with the sequel, which was called uh, Black House, although it was hmm. really different from The Talisman. That's the, the kid in The Talisman is now quite grown up in Black House. Just looking through this uh, in the plot summary on Wikipedia, I noticed the first thing is the protagonist's name is Jack Sawyer and Jack Torrance, Jack Sawyer. Does, does Stephen King use Jack a lot for his protagonist? I wonder. Dude, Stephen King jacks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that, like, as the words were coming out of my mouth, like, uh, maybe, maybe we'll give him a professional. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for going there because I couldn't. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why I'm a guest. <laughs> uh, uh, and so, and then Jack Ketchum. Yeah. Favorite book of his, maybe? Whew. That's a tough one. Maybe Offspring, maybe Red. Red's a great one. It's about a, an old man and his dog. And uh, it begins with him and the dog just kind of fishing. And these mm-hmm. fucking rowdy teens come up and kill the dog. And so ah. the book the book is like this revenge thing of the, the old man just fucking up these teens. I thought that was pretty good. I don't know what about it. I like just the whole thing is good. He's a good writer. Jack Ketchum's awesome. Yeah. So Gran Torino meets Jack Wick. Right? Basically. John Wick, John Wick. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like Jack Wick. <laughs> I know. As soon as I said that, I'm like, what the fuck? That would Jack not Jack have Jack. been such a popular movie if it was called Jack Wick. Probably not, no. <laughs> I almost did a bit take of my soda there. Thanks. <laughs> Going back to uh, Talisman for a minute, you mentioned uh, – Sunny, sad and funny. Yeah. Uh, what was sad about it? What was sad about it? Oh, yeah. Well, the the main plot is the mom is dying of some disease. <laughs> so the son wow. kind of like runs away to this fantasy land in search of a way to uh, help the mom. Like, I, it's been a long time since I've read it. So the plot isn't completely clear in my head. But the whole thing is him trying to save his mom. So, I mean, it's a sad ass book. Yeah, but is like is he actually saving her in real life, or he's just escaping into this fantasy, thinking that things are going to be better? I guess. Oh, it's real life. I mean, if you've read yeah. if you've read many Stephen King books, you know he tends to oh, have different say, realities. Here. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Good point. Uh, so, what was funny about it? What's funny about it was a sidekick that he had. He he uh, runs into eventually. It's like a half dog man or something. And I just recall all the uh, interactions with the sidekick being really funny, but it's been a while. So it's kind of fuzzy. Was it a gray fluffy dog with an Australian accent? No. It looked like John Candy. (laughs) You mean Jack Candy? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, What the hell was that thing's name in uh, Spaceballs? Oh, Barf. Oh, yes. Was it? Yeah. Half, half something, half. Uh, no, it wasn't. 
Well, that might have been his name, but he said, I'm something. I'm half this, half that. Oh, yeah, he's a mog. He's a man dog. There he is. Okay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Did you encounter any horror media in your teen, teen years that actually scared you? No, I don't think so. Okay. Anything in real life that actually scared you? Besides the overwhelming threat of being discovered by like child protective syllabuses, not really. Right. That was like the looming thing with me, you know. Oh, also, I should have mentioned this, but it slipped my mind. I just wrote a novella about this called Indiana Death Song, which is yep. about my teenage years living in a hotel. But something I really embraced in the novella that happened to me is something called Truman Show Syndrome. Do you guys mm. know about that? No, but I can kind of piece it together. Like the, <laughs> the whole feeling that your life is, is a facsimile and you're just being monitored. Yeah, so as a as a teenager living in a hotel, I eventually uh, be convinced myself that this was all happening because I was being uh, live streamed. <laughs> that the little cameras all over the hotel and they were watching me at all time. I, I could see how that would be much more likely to lodge in a kid's brain than at you know at home. Mm-hmm. Shall we say? It just felt like that was the only possible reasonable uh, explanation for why I was stuck in this fucking hotel, and no one would like give me an actual reason why it was happening. Just you know, you know, it's funny you say that because I, that's something that I have discovered in in my own life. You know, part of the background of you know coming leading into the show is Chris has got a, a horror themed webcomic. I wrote a book about the stuff that uh, I learned through my journey through therapy and recovery and stuff like that. And one of the things that I learned is that, you know, absent uh, if you if you don't have information, your brain starts to make up shit basically. Mm-hmm. And that's one of in the gaps. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that people can be obsessive. For example, if they're in a relationship or they break up with someone or, you know, the person's not responding to them or, you know, and and the longer you go, the weirder your thoughts get. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I could definitely see how this kind of plays into that where, you know, you're trying to search for a reason and you eventually stumble on that. Yeah, I could see that being a. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you nailed it. That's exactly why. I recall, and this is in the novella, like opening my window and like sitting on it with my legs dangling out and going, okay, I'm going to do it, guys. I'm going to fucking jump. Just like expecting some producer to run out and stop me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one did. did. Did you jump? Yeah, that's. No. <laughs> I did not. I was too much of a chicken to kill myself. Well. Well, I was thinking, you know, like second story, maybe you just broke a leg. Or oh, something. no, it was it was like five, fifth floor. <laughs> I would have oh. died. OK, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I redact my stupid question. <laughs> Did you jump? Well, no, I'm talking to you right now. So, no. <laughs> I am alive. Uh, <laughs> are you a ghost? You got to tell me if you are. It's entrapment. <laughs> yeah, right? I landed on a dog. <laughs> It's also scary just that the windows opened that allowed you to do that. You know, I know that there was a period where they had to go back around and change all that so that, you know, windows can't open above a, a certain height. Um, yeah. Apparently they missed that one. Some, they didn't get to it some hotels. We say that the windows wouldn't open and some we did, did open. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what the, what the logic was behind that. I just hadn't gotten to it yet. 
so I'm guessing you didn't participate in Halloween very much from the hotel. No, Halloween was uh, <laughs> something I uh, definitely, I don't even think I even thought about Halloween once the hotel happened. I mean, yeah. at least there were good movies on TV, maybe? Um, yeah, I mean, I had a laptop. Of, I was given a laptop like a few months after the hotel thing happened. So that helped a lot with um, just watching movies. On the, ho- on, the ho- on the hotel TVs, I usually didn't really watch too much because they didn't have that many great channels. And also, mm-hmm. <laughs> like at night, my, my parents, if they were at the hotel, they loved watching <laughs> like Family Guy. So it was just like fucking Family Guy and Roseanne <laughs> reruns and shit. So that was mostly what was on the hotel TV. <laughs> yeah. Any scary dreams as a team? No, I don't. Not that I recall. No Halloween, no scary dreams. CPS, I could I could understand that being uh, a fear. Mm. Let me ask about that because that's also something I can relate to. Um, I did not have the best childhood either, but I also was afraid of CPS because at the time I thought that meant that they would take me away from my family and I would never see them again. Not only my mother or father, but like my extended family. Like I thought, okay, so I'm never going to see my cousins again or my aunts and uncles. And that I didn't like because I, I loved my, the rest of my extended family. So was that also a a similar concern of yours? Was it? Yeah. That you thought? Yeah. I didn't, I, I mean, despite how I grew up, I still loved my family. I I love my family now. I didn't want to be taken away. I didn't want to be plucked and like thrown into some unknown situation. And, and looked after by people I didn't know and probably wouldn't like the whole thing, yeah. which is terrifying. I mean, even before the hotel, the CPS thing was always like a, a thing that would nag at me because we didn't have the most uh, traditional household. It was a really messy house, like the type of house that would be featured in some A and E uh, reality <laughs> show. Orders. Yeah, I mean we all lived in the living room because you couldn't go into the other rooms in the house. They were so messy. And mm. um and we also didn't have heat, like I said, growing up in Indiana, that is like a <laughs> pretty uh, flaw, big flaw. And I recall one time um, my mom had kicked out one of my brothers from the house because you know, he's a piece of shit. And <laughs> to retaliate, he called CPS and told them about the heat. Oh. And then they came to my school and talked to me. And it was really terrifying. Dick move. And, oh, yeah. He was – he's – I believe – that time he was kicked out because he had uh slapped all. So yeah, not a good pills in that brethel. Mm-hmm. No. Um, all right. So I guess that pretty much covers the teenage years um, going into adulthood. There was something that you said tied into adulthood. I'm trying to remember what it was though. Oh, yeah. I was employed uh, eight and a half yields, bulking the oval night shift at a hotel. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been here so long. Promoted you you know, and guessed. Life is not without its ironies. <laughs> but to, be, to go back, I mean, you guys don't have a prologue section of before I was conceived, but if you did have a preconceived... Uh, section of the podcast i would have said my parents uh, met at a hotel because my dad used to own one and then he hired my mom as like um a bell attendant and that's how they met 
So I, I was conceived because my parents met at a hotel and then I eventually lived in the hotel and then I fucking was employed at a hotel. My life is a hotel. <laughs> I'm, I'm again wondering if you're being serious. I am. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Ah, this, this could That's, be like one of uh, Douglas Adams' books from the yeah. <laughs> right. So I have, I have, ah. I have a novel out called "The Nightly Disease," and that's specifically about my time uh, doing the night shift at a hotel. So mm-hmm. I, I have covered that pretty extensively, and then I have Indiana Death Song that's coming out next year in my collection, and that's mm-hmm. about living in a hotel. So it's like the kind of go together but not really different vibes and moods like nightly mm. disease is very much just a comedy compared to like indiana death song was just which is just depressing and bleak <laughs> is nightly disease more of a dark comedy yeah definitely it's um Sounds it's, like it would be it's a bunch of um true things that i've gone through while working the night shifts but uh made to be fiction so i don't get sued yeah so i did that for eight and a half yields and then i uh quit only because of the the movie that happened so that helped yeah yeah (laughs) wow (laughs) i just don't even know what to say to that (laughs) Um, someone should make a book about that wait you're making two (laughs) yeah right so horror in your adult years yeah that you're a fan of let's put your work aside uh yeah. stuff that you're a fan of in your adult years oh man i mean so many i'm i'm really much involved in the indie hoodle community because i run a small press and i do a podcast and so i encounter uh, so right. much so i mean it would be an endless list of names i could tell you brian evanson Haley Piper. those are the only two <laughs> <laughs> and so on et, and so et, on et yeah etc um I mean, it's difficult just to begin naming things that stand out to me at this point because it's just this is my life now. It's this genre. I mean, it's I wake. This is my only job now is being involved in this genre. Like I now host uh, a a cool convention every year. I do a podcast in that genre. I mean, I this is so like if you have like specific questions, but I'm having trouble just like reaching into my brain and just like. Right. coming up with an example so the <clears throat> uh, kind of like watergate follow the money we we say follow the emotion yeah um and so if i were to hold your feet to the fire and say the first three that come to mind usually those the first three that come to mind it's for some sort of deeper emotional reason that you can't necessarily put your finger on until you kind of dig into it a little more but it, just through me talking i would bet that one or two have already popped into your head like yeah, um, Last Days by Brian Evanson is one I always go to. It's a novel about a <laughs> about this uh, ex-cop who it begins with him just like at a at Denny's and someone tries to rob the gas the, the Denny's and then he ends up losing a hand while trying to save the day. And that's just like the prologue. The main plot is he then is contacted by this mysterious island to come investigate a homicide that happened on this island. But they only want him to come because only those who have been uh, mutilated can uh, 
until this island it's like a strange uh wiggle man type of cult will uh mutilation is how you gain entrance and the Mm -hmm. mills uh mutilations you have the high up you'll mill respected it's really strange and um surreal and i love it yeah brian evanson if you guys haven't read him it's like one of the best rattles of all time he's great that is uh that's very interesting more the more mutilation the higher your rank yeah yeah exactly it's so like at one point, not like a big spoil, a little bit, a little bit, but to to give you a big old example, he needs to talk to somebody. He needs to interrogate somebody who might know information about this homicide. But that person is so well respected and highly ranked, he won't speak to him because he. he this detective is just a low guy on the totem pole, so he has to self mutilate another piece of his body just to talk to this guy. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> For a second there, I thought you were going to say he couldn't talk to him because he's so high up on the chain that he's actually removed his tongue at this point. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> um, another book that comes to mind, and this is one I discovered as a teenager, but I still love it and I'm obsessed with it, would be um, John Dies at the End by Jason Pilgen. Great book. Um, again, this is going back a little bit to teenage yields, but when I was in the hotel, I was, you know, I had the laptop and something I did a lot to, to spend time was I would go on the cracked.com uh, message builds. And that was uh, mm-hmm. David Wong, AKA Jason Pilgen's uh, website. Mm-hmm. And yep. so I just spent a lot of time like interacting and reading various message build threads. And that led to me discovering um, John dies at the end and the, the rest of the books in that trilogy. So I think that book specifically, the, the initial book, John dies at the end, it has the prolific blend of spookiness and comedy. It's really good. All right. So let me think, uh, scrolling back up to some of our earlier conversations. So I'm seeing maybe some common threads with body horror. I think you even maybe have mentioned that earlier on in the call that that was a thing that you liked. Yeah. It's fun. Bodies are strange and disgusting, and they don't make any sense. And it's it's funny to me that we have them. We just have these fucking things of flesh that we lug around until they rot. It seems odd to me. And then underneath the the the, the flesh we have, we have these uh, these bones. We just have these skeletons that we never get to see. Nope. But we know they exist because someone yeah. told us. <laughs> we just have bones. We'll hopefully, never get to see. Yeah. I don't know. I always find it weird that you get to see some of them, like like your fingernails or your teeth. Like that's part of a whole thing that's just poking out from the meat suit. Yeah. Well, fingernails aren't. But have you now started participating with Hollywood or Hollywood uh, Halloween? Um. Yeah. Just I mean, it's a typical you know dress up the house and have kids come and give them candy. That's about it. Okay. No, uh, no costume parties or nothing like that. No, I don't do costumes. <laughs> do you have anything against costumes? <sighs> no, I just, I, I'm just unoriginal, and I never know what to do. Like, I love masks, but I build glasses now, and I don't understand the logistics of having glasses with a mask <laughs> on. If I take off my glasses, I can't see anything. So they just, it's just too annoying to think about. Mm. Not a fan of contact. No, I I would never trust myself to use contacts. I'm I'm pretty sure I would poke my eye. (laughs) 
And plus, just touching yeah, yeah. an eyeball feels seems really disgusting to me, and I don't want to do that. Don't want to give yourself another black eye. Exactly. Mm. So by now, you have more of a social circle in terms of horror because it's also what you're doing for a living. Yeah. Um, do, 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 do. So let's see. I mean, that pretty much covers a lot of the adult stuff, too. Um, I guess let's jump down to some of the uh, the wrap-up questions, then. These these questions here, there's probably about 10 or so, but yeah. these cover your entire life. It's not just any one section, and it's not just related to horror. You could answer anything, really. I hope I hope some of the questions can cover my life that have, hasn't happened yet. Like, how are you going to die? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can answer that, that would be a very interesting question. In, 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 well, I suppose if you're planning on suicide, that you could probably answer that question. But anywho, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, should I ask that question? Are you planning suicide? So, so, okay, uh, I discovered. I know how we're all going to die. It's a solar flare in 2025, guys. Come on. Yes. All right. <laughs> Okay, so the first two questions I'm going to ask are ask at the same time because it could be the same answer. It could be two different answers. But uh, if I were to ask, what is your favorite movie and what movie have you watched more times than any other? What would you say? I think my favorite movie is probably The Gate. The Gate, which came nice. out in the yeah, you guys know. It. Okay, cool, cool. I know. Uh, I don't know if Steve's saying it. That's uh, Stephen Dorff, the awesome yeah. claymation demons. Yeah. The movie's awesome. Um, the movie I've seen the most, I don't know, probably like Pineapple Express or Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> I have nephews, so like we watch okay. Shrek probably three times a day for like a year at one point. <laughs> Can you recite it like Will Smith in, in I Am Legend? Just straight up like zone out on the TV? <laughs> I think I could. I don't, I don't want to tap into that section of my brain. But yeah, I hate, I hate that movie so much. But yeah, I've, <laughs> Shrek is probably the, the most truthful answer to that question. Hmm. What about Pineapple Express? Is that something you also watched with the, the nephew? <laughs> no. <laughs> They're just kind of a go-to? Yeah, it's just a funny movie. Have you guys seen it? Several times. I have not. Okay. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I just, I'm a big fan of like Apatow and like uh, Seth Rogen and all those uh, comedy boys. So, yeah, that to me just seems like one of the best ones of those types of movies. And I tend to want, I haven't watched it in a while, but purely, period of time, <laughs> I just watched it a lot. Okay. Yeah. So, being a literary person, let me re ask the same two questions, but referring to books now. Yeah. Favorite book? My favorite book is probably The Bible. No. Uh, the Devil All the Time by Donald <laughs> Ray pa- Pollock. That's my favorite book. Oh, yeah. Okay. And the one I've read the most is probably John Dies at the End. I've read that like three, five, three, maybe five times, I would say. Okay. Uh, well, you, we've already talked about John Dives at the end. What about The Devil All the Time? That book is bleak, man. I don't know. It was a film adaptation, too, recently, but I don't think it was uh, as good as the book. Not even close. The book um, it has a lot of uh, bleak imagery, a lot of Sutherland stuff in it that I seem to like for some reason. It digs into religion in a way that kind of vibes with me 
has a lot of the same feelings I have about religion and serial killings and filius little things. It's a, just a great novel. It's, the way it's written is awesome. The, the the guy who wrote it is just really talented, and the kill tools involved in the book are just great, and it sticks with you. There's some stuff in that book that you will not forget if you read it. <laughs> uh, you commented something about re- having common views on religion. What, what was that? Uh, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. mainly my view on it, and it seems to uh, that book summarizes why. So I would just recommend if people want to know more about that, they should read the book and see how they feel about it. Okay. Organized religion can be a dangerous thing. Yeah. All, all, almost all the time. Yeah. We kind of commented about um, body horror, but if I were to ask, uh, you know, what, what kinds of common threads do you see about the horror that you enjoy? Would you say it's body horror or do you see some other uh, common thread? I would say it's body horror. Yeah. I, I tend to like that quite a bit. I love um, also, I love any movie or book that has to do with, technology in a specific way like videodrome is one of my favorite movies and anything about like discovering some old footage and then getting obsessed with it i seem to really like a lot okay that's probably uh maybe inspired by your uh early uh exposure to the evil dead you know discovering that uh that recording oh. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That could be. Mm, yeah. On the Cronenberg uh, vein there, have you seen uh, Crimes of the Future yet? Hell yeah, I have. What about you guys? Uh, no, not yet. I'm, I, I need to. It's good. It's great. It's only in theaters right now, isn't it? I think so. That's how I saw it, at least. It looks really good. Niche technology. What do you like about that? I don't know. It's I don't have like a good answer to that. I I think there's something satisfying about watching someone just like take an old like audio recording device or something to do with video and just fixing it and like hitting buttons and rewinding things back. I just find mm-hmm. that soothing. And then I love just I just love like things being on video or video um, audio tapes that don't belong. It mm-hmm. just Maybe that just goes back to just like, like old. I mean, I grew up in the two thousands, so I grew up with YouTube and shit like that. So maybe that ties into it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. What do you mean by things that don't belong? <laughs> like you know, you watch a old videotape and you see like a face in the in the blackness, and you go, "Oh, whoa, whoa, what's that?" <laughs> then you get obsessed with it, and you spend the rest of the movie uh, trying to figure out what real that came from. Okay, so like artifacts. Well, the next question is, any idea why it is that you like those things? And with body horror... Yeah. Well, what do you think about body horror? What do you like about body horror? Oh, I just think body is all hilarious. <laughs> I think, <laughs> as I was saying previously, I just find the human body disgusting and terrifying and also funny. It's just something odd about it that I can't quite place. I mean, I wrote a book maggot screaming is all about exploring bodies and how they decompose. I think it's crazy that like 
well, given this body with a ticking top, a ticking clock, and we know at the end of it, we're just going to become food for insects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like we will just like these meals, uh, percolating, right? Just cooking mm-hmm. in a fucking crock pot, waiting for someone else to eat us at the end of the day. And that's crazy and kind of cool to me. I don't know. Maybe surreal. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of surreal in a way. Like, I haven't read the book, but I've uh, seen a little bit of the uh, the film adaptation of John Dies at the End. And there's that scene where there's, um, I think, one of the, the people just all of a sudden manifests himself as a pile of food. And it's a ridiculous scene because there's this pile of food in the shape of a human body that's, that's speaking and acting as a person. But when you think yeah. about it, that's what human bodies are. They're, they're a machine that we know... And in its definition as being um, a system of metal and fabricated parts. And you don't think of a machine as being something organic that's made of meat and bones and sinew. But that's what a human body is. It's it's a meat machine, which is just fucking weird and funny. Yeah, It's so strange. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hilarious, disgusting, terrifying, surreal. But also you had mentioned early on liking things that are chaotic and, and not being a fan of logic. Yeah. Let me ask that. We didn't, we didn't talk about that earlier. What do you, when you say not a fan of logic? I, I hate explanations in movies and books and in life. I think it's never satisfying to me. What's fun to me is trying to uh, speculate, trying to understand, but never quite reaching a strong conclusion it's the uh, investigation process of any mystery that i find thrilling and no matter what the uh, true conclusion is it's never going to be that satisfying so i enjoy things that don't really give a shit about explaining i love the chaotic uh, illogical nature of some movies specifically specifically in the hill genre okay my emotional response to that is that it feels like it's leading towards the unknown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like asking, you know, like a broken record. If I were to ask how, you know, do you, do you have any idea why it is you like those things? Is there anything that we, that you've thought of that we haven't talked about yet that would address that? I don't think so. I mean, it, it might just be from my, my many, many, uh, my many yields of uh, reading slush for magazine and magazines and books. I've I've read a lot of uh, fiction and I've seen a lot of movies. And after so long, it just kind of becomes billing when when you have some explanation. I think I don't know. I'm just not sad. I'm just not satisfied by everything being tied up with a bow. I mean, it's almost a trope at this point, you know, like. Uh film criticism channels like cinema sins and other things always point out, uh, you know, exposition time. Oh, this is the expositional character. So it, it is kind of a trope for things to be over explained. And I think it's almost globally unliked at this point. I mean, think about Sam Raimi's uh, movies with Bruce Campbell, man, like <laughs> those deadites, they make no sense when you think about them, but who gives a shit? Yeah. The, you just you see what happens and you have fun with it. If you think about it, what's what's the fun in that? I don't know. Yeah. And what is the force that's always, you know, doing the POV camera moving towards him? Oh, what is this creature? Is it is it a thing? No, I don't know. It's it's just make up your own thing. Whatever. Yeah, just just live in the moment and like go with the vibe. I'm I'm much I I prefer the vibe of like 
the plot usually just how does it make you feel does it make you feel like are you having fun are you thrilled is this mm-hmm. cool is this strange and unusual just go with it well when you were describing that a few minutes ago the, the phrasing that i was coming up with was for lack of a better way to say it that it sounds like you're not satisfied when things are satisfied yeah maybe so that sounds good to me I like how that sounds. So maybe there's something about the uneasiness or, you know, the leftover, the unknown that that speaks to you. Yeah. And as we've established, only one thing satisfies me. Clowns. Clowns. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Any idea why the unknown might speak to you? I mean, <laughs> I assume it probably has a lot, a lot to do with my childhood. I mean, living in a hotel and not knowing why, never being told anything. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess, that probably has something to do with it. I don't know. It's not something I, I think about much. Doesn't doesn't really like gnaw at me like, oh, why why do I like this? Right. I just do. It's like, why do I like coffee? I don't know because I'm fucking addicted, addicted <laughs> to caffeine. Probably <laughs> part of it. Part of it. Yeah. It tastes good. I love it. I actually, contrary to what you said sec- a second ago about maybe it having to do with you living in a hotels and stuff, I actually think it might. I w- I probably would not have guessed that because it almost sounds like those are contradictory to me. Because unless there's something that you've left out, it didn't sound like you really enjoyed the hotel experience per se. No. So I don't know why you would then be attracted to something that would remind you of something that you didn't enjoy. Does that make sense? Well, that's the, well, you'll assuming that people like attracted to things that will healthy fill them too. True. Yeah. Like just because it's bad fill me doesn't mean I'm not going to be attracted to it. Hence the clowns. So maybe it's not so much that you enjoy it as it is. Maybe it's just that it's comfortable because it's what you knew. Maybe. I mean, it also sounds like a bunch of bullshit to me. Every, if anything I'm saying right now, sounds like I'm just trying to find a reason. And I, and I, and I think, the, I think the actual reason is just because it's cool. And I like it. I like, I like the taste of it. You know, I like how it makes me feel. I like, I just like it. And sometimes that's enough. I think that's true. And, and I am, able to be satisfied with that as an answer. Um, I'm just doing the due diligence to make sure that we can't find anything beyond that. That's all. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I mean, it's possible. I mean, I'm sh- I, I assume if aliens will dissect my brain and s- lay it out on some fucking uh, table and like research it and like study it, they would be like, well, he likes this because of this, but right. I don't have <laughs> access to my brain in that way. Well, and it's also possible that you may have some other reason that we just haven't uncovered because we haven't asked the right questions. I mean, that that's not impossible yeah. as well. You know, it might be even just something as simple as you sharing something with your brothers, you know, when you were younger and maybe there's some memory that is buried that you have forgotten about, but it was, you know, a positive experience and you know you just enjoyed it. Chris and I have talked about in the past on some of these calls that for people who are introduced to horror at a very young age, particularly before the age of like three or four, it is very hard to tease out any particular reason because whatever positive experience there was initially, it's just so far back that the memory might not even be, be there anymore or it's, it's, you just can't pull it up. 
Right. Yeah. And, you know, normally the last questions here would then be, you know, why horror or, you know, could there be other genres that you would enjoy other than horror? But, you know, if you can't really dig into uh, what your triggers are, then it's hard to to answer these last couple questions because that's just it. The the other genres don't really do anything for you. I mean, I love all I genres. I mean, that I'm a big fan of all things you know i love crime fiction i love uh i'm a, I'm a fan actually of i was just about to say that you mentioned comedy yeah so. comedy i love comedy i mean i love I mean, it's not a genre i dislike not one i mean you name it and i'll tell you if i like it. <laughs> i can't think of anything <laughs> country music oh we'll talking music as well <laughs> no no you just said you know what the- i'm a fan of johnny cash and he is country okay correct? okay yeah so, okay. yeah i can find something in anything yeah. I, it, speaking of movies, I was thinking like Hallmark Channel. Oh, I, yeah, right. Like, Can you sit through more than 10 minutes of a Hallmark Channel film? <laughs> well, it depends how high you get me. <laughs> they can be really enjoyable. This is true. This is true. Espe- like, I mean, you know, are, you, are you telling me if you don't like high or drunk with some friends and you chill one of those movies on, you wouldn't have a hell of a, t- a fun time? It would be great. It would be a oh, blast. If can, yeah, if I can pick it apart like MST3K style, sure. Yeah. Let's, let's go. There's <laughs> enjoyment in most things, I think. Yeah. yeah. But see, to me, that's not enjoying the movie. That's enjoying the social aspect of what's going on. Like, it, the movie is just secondary to that. You know what I mean? So I like, don't know. I think the movie is what's holding the social aspect together, right? Otherwise, you would just be stuck making small talk, not knowing what to say. Instead, together, you will enjoy a movie. Even if it's not the intended way the filmmakers wanted you to enjoy it, you will still find a way to enjoy it. I don't know. I, even if I was drunk or high, I don't know if I could enjoy a, a whatchamacallit, um, Hallmark movie. They just, well. Uh, they, they grate on my nerves a little too much, but that's just me. So, all right. So I guess with ours, we don't really seem to have as clear of an answer as we have in some cases, and that's okay. I guess anything you want to pitch on the way out? I mean, you mentioned the, um, there was a book that you mentioned earlier. Oh yeah. I have a collection coming out next, uh, Milch called uh, Abnormal St- Statistics. Jesus Christ, I can't say the title. <laughs> <laughs> it's a collection of uh, spooky fiction. They all have to do with uh, families in some way. And it does include my new novella, Indiana Death Song, which is about my teenage yields growing up in a hotel. So yeah, uh, look for that next deal. I have Maggot Screaming out now. I also host a, I publish a small press called Ghoulish Books and we do spooky books. Uh, Daniel Sladel, which is on the show, I'm doing mm-hmm. his Moonfellows label yep. in July. I don't know when this episode comes out, but the book comes out July 20th. And I think when we were talking offline, Ghoulish is also the name of your podcast. Yeah, I have a podcast called Ghoulish, and it's a comedy interview show. I talk to folks about the um, the whole genre. Cool, cool. Well, thank you very much for your time. And uh, thank you to anybody out there listening. If you uh, have anybody that you'd like to suggest to be a guest, please let us know. You can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. There's merch, Patreon. You can buy us coffee. If you like what we're doing, tell somebody. 